the seven feasts. If you remember last time we began to take a look at it, the scripture lays out for us that these were appointed times. Uh, In the Hebrew, literally, it's these are God's appointments for his people. These holy days, these feast days are set aside. And I think if we look at them, they all tell us a story. They all tell the story of the gospel. They tell us of God's ultimate plan. And the children of Israel rehearsed them from their inception. He says, this will be a holy convocation. The word convocation means rehearsal. This is a rehearsal. Every time you're doing these feasts, you are acting out something not only that it commemorates, but something that it anticipates. So we began and we took a look at those those feasts last week. We started with the 14th of Nisan, or Passover. The 14th of Nisan, and we see the the commemoration, obviously, of of the the uh, Passover event that took place in Exodus or in Exodus in Egypt, as the children of Israel were passed over when they marked their doorposts with the blood of the lamb. I find it interesting. Not only were they to apply the lamb, but what else? They were to eat it. And when we look at what Jesus said in John chapter six, it ought to leap out at us when Jesus says, unless you eat of my flesh or drink of my blood, you have no part of me because he wants to be uh, assimilated into us the same way the lamb was assimilated at Passover. One night, eat it all. Get it all in. Make it a part of who you are. Not just apply the blood, but eat the lamb. Then after that, we saw that it anticipated The ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ died on the cross on the 14th of Nisan, fulfilling the picture that Passover painted. You're acting out, commemorating an event that took place in the past, which is anticipating its fulfillment in the future. On Passover, the Lamb of God died. Fulfilling that picture for us. Then we saw... The Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread began on the 15th of Nisan, ran for seven days. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, remember we talked about that, that last supper that Jesus had in the Afikomen, the, the bread, the matzah, striped and pierced, that they would break and they would eat. Unleavened Bread. The removal of their sins is what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was celebrating. They removed yeast from the house. Yeast, or uh, leaven, is a picture of sin throughout the scriptures. It's a picture of of what it, it does. It puffs up. So they were to remove all those things. For seven days, all they ate was unleavened bread. And I'm reminded when we look at the afikomen, or what the afikomen means in the Greek is, is I come. When they take that and they hid it, buried it, wrapped it in linen... It pictures what happened to Jesus. During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus Christ was in the tomb, wrapped in linen, awaiting the next feast. What was he accomplishing in that time? The Bible tells in that time that Jesus Christ was applying the blood of the sacrifice to the mercy seat. 
the mercy seat, the throne of God in heaven. Jesus applied the blood, no more blood of lambs and goats, bulls that pictured, that were temporary, but pictured a, a perfect sacrifice. The book of Hebrews tells us, he has now died, applied the blood once for all. It's done. It's finished. Complete. And so that was picturing Christ in the ground doing that work of what? Removing sin. Removing sin. Whosoever puts their faith in him are just men made perfect. It's what the scripture declares. They're made clean. Then we see the third feast. The third feast that we talked about last time. The feast of first fruits. You'll never guess when it took place. Three days later. That should remind us of something else. On the 17th of Nisan, the day of first fruits began. The beginning of the harvest. The beginning of the harvest, they would take a sheaf of, of uh, barley. It was the barley harvest at this time. And they'd bring it to the priest. And the priest would take that sheaf and wave it to the Lord. Saying, thank you, Lord, for the harvest. This beginning of the harvest promising a greater harvest yet to come. What happened on that day? How was that fulfilled? It commemorates remembers the God's blessing throughout the harvest. But what does it anticipate? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. One now, many to come. Daniel laid out for us a scripture. Daniel said that there are two resurrections. Resurrection to life, resurrection to death. Folks, the first resurrection is not an event Any more than the second resurrection is an event. It's a category. What do I mean by that? This. The first resurrection began when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It will be completed. The first resurrection will be completed at the Revelation chapter 19. The return of Christ. At the end of the millennial reign of Christ. The second resurrection will take place. Where the... Death and Hades will give up the dead, and those who reject Christ will be judged. That's the second resurrection. The first resurrection began with Christ. Matthew gives us a little hint in that, right? Doesn't he? He ever wondered when you read the book of Matthew, Matthew says, and when Christ rose, and then many other saints were seen. Saints that had been dead were seen. Why were they seen? Because he's letting us know the resurrection has begun, is begun. And it's going to continue until that time when the first resurrection is fulfilled. That first resurrection will be fulfilled at the end when the tribulation saints are complete. When, the, when their number is full. Until then, everybody in that category is part of the first resurrection. What was the Feast of First Fruits? It was celebrating the beginning of a harvest. What did it promise? More harvest to come, right? That sheaf that they they waved, that wasn't the whole harvest. There was more, wasn't there? That sheaf was just the beginning of much more to come. Fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When did he rise from the dead? At the Feast of First Fruits. On the day. Not close to the day, near the day, on the day. Fulfilling that feast, the resurrection that takes place, the promised resurrection for each of us. Then, the next feast, different from some of the others... The next feast was known as the Feast of Weeks. Shavuot. The Feast of Weeks. Why they called it the Feast of Weeks? Because they counted seven weeks. Seven weeks. Seven's the number of what? The sevens come up in the Bible a lot, don't they? 
And we're going to see a lot of them throughout the feasts. The seven feast days, seven weeks from that Sabbath before the Feast of First Fruits, seven Sabbaths plus one day makes it on a what? The day after Saturday is a Sunday, right? Fifty days after. That's where it gets its Greek name. You probably remember the Greek name, Pentecost. It means 50 days. 50 days later, what did they commemorate in that day? That day they commemorated the giving of the law. The, the children of Israel believe that they arrived at Mount Sinai to receive the law 50 days after they left Exodus. That, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but that's their tradition. And so in the receiving of the law, they would celebrate by having two loaves. But you remember there was something different about those two loaves. First off, that feast, Pentecost, celebrated the next harvest. The wheat harvest was coming in. And as it celebrated the wheat harvest, they would take of the barley, they would take of the wheat, they would mix them together, and they would add something that they only added one other time, or the only feast that they added this, leaven. They put yeast in the bread, and the bread rose. Now, the Jewish people believe that the two loaves of bread that they made and offered up symbolize the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. There's a, a slight problem with that. You remember we talked about it last week. There's leaven in the law. Leaven is a sign of, of, of sin, evil, bad, something wrong. But the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. But they don't understand. They don't know. You ask them today and say, oh, I don't know. It's how we do it. But we believe that what the scripture is indicating in the wheat and the barley mixed together, Jew and Gentile. Why is there leaven? Because you and I, we're not perfect. You and I, we're messed up. What does it anticipate? The birthday of the church, right? What happened on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Christ? We see the Holy Spirit poured out and the church being born. What was the church made up of? Jews and Gentiles. Together, one body, the body of Christ, brought together. So the Feast of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, we see it fulfilled. On the day... The Holy Spirit poured out, the church is born. As they celebrated the law, do you remember what took place when the law was given? When the law was given, the day that the law was given, uh, Moses came down the mountain, broke the Ten Commandments because the children of Israel were already fallen into sin and idolatry. Do you remember how many people died? 3,000 people died on that day. You know how many people were saved on the day of Pentecost? 3,000. Coincidence? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it fulfills the picture that God is giving. As we look, the first four feasts deal with his first coming. We gave a little snippet that the last three feasts will deal with his second coming. So we're going to take a look at those last three feasts tonight. In scripture, we'll be picking it up in verse 23 of chapter 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing, of trumpets, a holy convocation. Okay, remember, we said convocation was a rehearsal. So they're rehearsing something with this. What is this picture? It's one of 
of uh, two at the end of the last three that don't really commemorate an event, a, a natural event. What we see in the, literally it's called the Feast of Blowing. The word trumpet's not there. It's the Feast of Blowing. What did they blow? Well, that is there. They blew the shofar, the, the trumpet. In fact, historically what they would do is they had named the two trumpets. The two trumpets were for the left horn and the right horn of the ram that was caught in the thicket and substituted for uh, Isaac. That ram that was substituted for Isaac when Abraham said the Lord will provide. They named the left horn the first. They named the right horn the last. They would use those horns to sound the trumpet to call together the assembly. To call the assembly together. So if you want to say it commemorates anything, it commemorates God assembling his people together. Calling his people. When the trumpet sounded, the people gathered. That's what it was used for. So as we take a look, this feast, it's interesting, on the first day of the seventh month. Seven is the number of interesting, isn't it? The seventh month, we have the last three feasts. The first month, you have the first three. Fifty days later, one parked in the middle. The seventh month, first day, will be a Sabbath rest. You need to understand this because it's important when people start arguing about what the Sabbath is and when the Sabbath is, that Sabbath was not necessarily a Saturday, right? First day of the month could be any day. But it will be a Sabbath. In fact, the Scripture indicates that there are 52 Sabbaths that happen on Saturday and seven additional high days high holy days, Sabbaths, that were added to be a part of the feasts. So sometimes when you're reading the Scripture, you'll be reading the Scripture talking about a Sabbath. You need to know what Sabbath is talking about. Is it a high day? Is it one of the holy days of the feast? Or was it a Saturday? Every time you see the word Sabbath doesn't necessarily mean that what you're looking at is a Saturday Sabbath. This one in particular is one of seven that are not necessarily... On a Saturday. Well, I want to understand a little bit more about this Feast of Trumpets and what the trumpets were all about. So, it's spoken to us in Numbers chapter 10. So, why don't we turn there together? All you got to do is turn left, one book. Turn left, one book to chapter 10. Oh, it depends on which way your Bible's facing. Nice try, huh? I guess it is right. Well, I'm putting the page to the left. I can, I can save it somehow. Oh, it's been a long day. Anyways, Numbers chapter 10, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You will make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation, for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation will gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So one of the things that they were used for was to assembly to assemble the people together. Now, this is not only specifically on the Feast of Trumpets. This is what they used the trumpets for all the time. In fact, every feast began with the sounding of the trumpet. Every feast, all the way through. That's going to be important a little bit later as we continue to take a look at it. Verse 3, when they blow both of them, all the congregation will gather before you at the door of tabernacle of meeting. If they blow only one, Then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, will gather to you. 
When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound the advance a second time, the camps that are on the south side will begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you will sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. And in the day of your gladness and your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you will blow the trumpets over the burnt offerings and over the sacrifice of the peace offering, and they shall be a memorial for you before God. I'm the Lord your God. So this is what they were to use the trumpets for. Gather the people together, assemble the people to move the camp or to prepare for battle. Those were the three events that it would take place. Prior to the feast, they would sound the trumpets to assemble the body together. So when we look at the feast of trumpets, literally in the Hebrew, again, it's a feast of blowing because it's all about blowing the trumpets. They were gathering together for what? What were they gathering together for? Well, the first of Tishri is the same day as Rosh Hashanah, the new year. Was there a New Year's celebration? Why did they assemble the people? Listen, remember how the first three feasts went together? The last three do too. They assembled the people together. Why? They would call the people together in preparation. They would bring the assembly because in 10 days, it was Yom Kippur. It was Yom Kippur. It was the end of a year and looking forward to redemption. The redemption that would occur in 10 days. 10 days from the first day of Tishri. So they would sound the trumpets and gather them together. What did it commemorate? It commemorated the beginning of a new year looking forward to permanent redemption. When it was all over, when there was not going to be any more substitute sacrifices, when Jesus Christ would reign, when all those things would take place that we see anticipated in his second coming. So when we look at the scripture, we want to see that commemoration and look forward to the anticipation because it hasn't been fulfilled yet. The Feast of Trumpets, the blowing, the blowing of the trumpet. Now, when we look at this feast, it's kind of natural to begin to to put together a couple of other scriptures. In fact, if you turn there quickly with me, we can take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. See what the scripture lays out for us there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, oh, starting somewhere around verse 16. For this we say, verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. The trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with him. It also speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
Actually, we might actually get to it this Sunday. We'll see. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Have you guys ever heard when people talk about the two witnesses, for example, in the book of Revelation? And they'll say things like, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So they believe that the two witnesses are Enoch and Elijah, the two men who didn't die. There's just one small problem with that, that logic. When the scripture says it's appointed unto man, it means basically, normally, in normal circumstances, every man dies and then the judgment. The point is, every man will face judgment. That context of that scripture is pointing to that fact, that reality. In reality, the scripture lays out for us that everyone's not going to die. We shall not all sleep. We may argue about when, but the bottom line is, the Bible says, everyone's not going to die. But we will all be changed, transformed in the twinkling of an eye, the scripture says, right? In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Once we're in Jesus' presence, our battle with sin is over. It's done. Corruptible will put on incorruption. Mortal will put on immortality. We will know as we are known, we will be like him. So we see in these two verses direct references to trumpets. That there will be the trumpet of God and that it's the last trump. And you remember I, I shared with you the names of the two horns from the ram. Now obviously they don't have the ram's horns. But that's what they named them in their tradition as they would celebrate the feast of trumpets. They would blow the first then the last. The two trumpets together. The two silver trumpets. To move the people. To assemble the people. And to prepare the people for battle. So when we take a look at these two scriptures, then as we consider that, we want to think on this anticipation. What is being pictured for us? What is the Lord laying out for us? What do we see? Well, the Bible's laying out for us what we know, what you and I call today the rapture. Rapture, by the way, the word rapture is not in the Bible. The word harpazo is translated as rapture. Harpazo means to be taken out of the way. There are seven pictures of raptures that take place in the Bible. I don't know how many pictures people need of a rapture to believe in the rapture, but there are seven. In those seven, one of them, using the exact same word as used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, harpazo, is when Jesus Christ ascended to the Father. When Jesus rose, he harpazoed. That's what the Bible says. He was raptured, taken to the Father. We can read about it in Revelation chapter 12. As the dragon was preparing to destroy the child, the child was taken to heaven. Revelation chapter 12. The child was Christ. A lot of people look at that. Nobody argues about it. The child's Christ. Let me ask you a question. Who is the body of Christ? We're the body of Christ. Revelation chapter 12. What happened to the body of Christ? Did Satan destroy the body of Christ? No. The body of Christ was taken where? To heaven. Picture of the rapture. The Bible lays out for us that it will be the trump of God and the last trump. Has there ever been a trump of God? Sure there has. 
When? Exodus chapter 20. Let's go take a look. Let's take a look at the last time the trump of God sounded what was going on. So when we look at Exodus chapter 20, you'll remember we came through Exodus chapter 20. The giving of the Ten Commandments, and then we come to verse uh, 18. Now all the people witnessed the thundering, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Well, Jackie, that just says they heard a trumpet. Yeah. Who was on the Mount Sinai? You read chapter 20. Whose voice was coming from Mount Sinai? God. Whose presence? God. God was on the mount. Why did he sound the trumpet? What did he do there? He gathered all the people together at the mount, and he spoke audibly the Ten Commandments. He gathered the people together, and he gave the law. That was the first and really last time the trump of God has sounded. The trumpet directly associated to God the Father. We, we see a little shadow or inkling of that same trumpet in Revelation chapter 4. When you take a look at Revelation chapter 4, which is the chapter in which you last hear the word church mentioned in the book of Revelation. We look at Revelation chapter 4. And I remember somebody was showing me Revelation chapter 4 and talking about these things. And I thought he was crazy. And then I began to study the Feast of the Trumpets and the Trumpets of God, and it didn't look so crazy to me anymore. After these things, I looked, behold, the door standing open in heaven, and the first voice voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Meditata. We look at Revelation chapter 4. God is calling John, specifically calling John to come to heaven to show him the rest of of the uh, revelation of Jesus Christ. He's going to begin showing them in chapter 5, the song of the redeemed, in chapter 6 through 19, the tribulation period, 19, the return of Christ, 20, the millennium, 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth. That's what he's going to lay out for John as he comes up to heaven. What I find interesting is that as God speaking to John, it again refers to that phrase, this voice like a trumpet. The voice that was like a trumpet in Exodus chapter 20 is a voice that is like a trumpet in Revelation chapter 4. And the church is never mentioned again. Count it sometime. First three chapters. How many times church is mentioned? Seven letters to the seven churches. I can tell you it's a lot. Chapter 4 on, gone. Not there. So we take a look and we see the trump of God. Now, often folks will point to the trumpet judgments. We can go to the book of Revelation and read the seven trumpet judgments. Let me ask you a question. When we consider the seven trumpet judgments, who is blowing the trumpet? Angels. Seven angels are blowing seven trumpets. Is that the same thing as the trump of God? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I think it's the trumpet of angels. And honestly, if we want to look at that, folks, that's not the last trumpet ever blown. Matthew chapter 24. If you flip with me real quick to Matthew chapter 24, we'll take a look. Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 29. 
Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Okay, so what are we talking about? The, at the end of the tribulation. Everybody with me? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heavens will be shaken, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation chapter 19, the return of Christ. Everyone agrees, the return of Christ. He's returning in chapter 19 with the church, with the tribulation saints. He doesn't really need us with him. He's able to handle it all by himself. That's what the book of Zechariah talks about. If we get a chance, maybe we'll take a look at that tonight. But listen to verse 31. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. What was it that they did with the trumpet? They gathered the people together, right? He will send his angels forth the sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Whenever we look at the elect in Scripture, we've got to hold it in context. Matthew chapter 24, who's he speaking to? Who's the elect? Israel. He's calling Israel. The end of the tribulation period, God sounds the trumpet and gathers his people again. What takes place at that point? Matthew chapter 25, the judgment of the nations. Okay? So the last trumpet ever blown is not the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation. There's another trumpet at the end. But listen, remember what I said? Those trumpets sounded every feast. Ever given, those trumpets would sound the feast. Do you know that during the millennial reign of Christ, the scripture declares that the feast of Sukkot, the feast of tabernacles, will be celebrated every year for the entire millennial reign of Christ. And you know how it will begin? With the blowing of the trumpets. The point of all that is simply to say, when the Bible talks about the last trump or the trump of God, it's talking about who is making the sound. Who is giving forth that call to assemble together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 lay out that Jesus is going to call the church. He's going to call the church to assemble together, to get ready to move camp. To be prepared for battle, which will take place, I believe, at the end of the seven years. In Revelation chapter 19, when we see him again, riding with Jesus Christ, coming back on a white horse. Feast of the trumpets, the new year, commemorating the moving, the assembling, the gathering together of the people. Anticipating the assembling of the church, the moving of the church. The bringing of the church home. The rapture of the church pictured for us in that next feast. Now here's the interesting point, guys. The Bible tells us that no man will know the day or the hour. That's why we all still argue about it. Because no man will know the day or the hour. But, then I'm not saying this is fact. I'm just telling you, the first four feasts were fulfilled on what day? The day of the feast, right? The day. Passover, Jesus died on the Passover. Put in the ground, feast of unleavened bread. Rose from the dead, the feast of first fruits. The Holy Spirit poured out, the feast of Pentecost. Now, something, somewhere, will be fulfilled on the feast of trumpets. And this is not the only concept or or the only view. There There are people with other views out there. And part of the reason 
is because the Lord does say, no one will know the day or the hour. So the first of Tishri should be out. But it's interesting to me that all those things fall together as we take a look at the feasts laid out before us. Now, as we go back to Leviticus chapter 23, we got two more feasts that we want to take a look at tonight. The next feast, the next feast, by the way, very solemn feast, lays out for us. Uh, let's look at verse 25 first, uh, talking about the Feast of Trumpets. You will do no customary work on it. And you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Verse 26, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now on the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation to you, holy rehearsal. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement. To make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted on that same day, he shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among the people. You will do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you will afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening you shall celebrate the Sabbath. Now keep in mind, when we consider the calendar, the Jewish calendar, we need to realize their day did not start like ours does at midnight. Their day started at evening. 6 p.m. was the end of the day and the start of the next. The The day ended at evening... And the new day started at evening. So it's a little bit different for our mindset when we consider it starts the ninth at evening, the minute after evening, what day was it? The 10th. Interesting that the 10th of Tishri was to be the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the only day of the year that the high priest and only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies to apply the blood of a sacrifice. A sacrifice that was one of two brought before the priests. They would bring two goats. They would draw lots. The goat that lost was killed. That blood applied to the other goat and applied in the Holy of Holies. What happened to the other goat? They confessed their sin upon that goat and that goat would go out into the wilderness. So one goat was the application of blood. The other goat... Removal of sin. That goat left and took with him, figuratively, the sins of the people. For one more year, God overlook, cover their sins, and they would have opportunity then to again look forward to another new year and ultimately for the Day of Atonement. So it commemorates this day, most sober of all days. But it's interesting because... Before Yom Kippur began, they had something that took place seven days prior. The seven days prior was Yamim Norim. Yamim Norim. What was it? The days of affliction. What do you mean? They were to reflect on what they'd done. Choices they've made. Failures. 
whatever events that had taken place in their life. They were to reflect on those. To, to learn the lesson of what had been accomplished in their life in the past, both good and bad, but to afflict their souls and to look for redemption, the redemption that God would give. Their souls were afflicted. And who were these feasts for? These feasts, and especially anticipating this one, for the nation of Israel. This feast commemorated the, the day of Yom Kippur, the day when the priest would strip off all his fancy garb and just wear a white tunic and enter into the presence of God. If the sacrifice was accepted, he would come out again and declare the people forgiven for another year. When we take a look at this, it anticipates another event. An event that the book of Zechariah tells us will take place with the children of Israel. The Bible lays out for us this. Let's take a look. The Bible tells us in uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, it says, Alas, for that day is great, and there is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, is always called the time of whose trouble? Jacob's trouble. Who's that event for? Jacob. What's it to do? What is accomplished in that event? His eyes are open. What do you mean? What are his eyes open to? Well, let's take a look at it. In the book of Zechariah, Zechariah, by the way, is right before Malachi. Malachi is easy to find. It's the last book. So we go to Zechariah. We'll start at chapter 12, and we'll go to chapter 13, and maybe even look at chapter 14. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, it says, And one will say to him, What are these wounds on your arms? And he will answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. And I will turn my hand against the little ones, and it will come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, This is my people. And each one of them will say, The Lord is my God. When we take a look at what Zechariah has to say about the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, it lays out for us that during those events, what is going to happen as a result is, according to Zechariah, two-thirds of who call themselves Israel are going to perish. They're going to die. 
They're not going to see, they're not going to understand, reject the Lord, whatever you want to say. Those two-thirds will die. But a third will believe. And Romans 11.26 says, All of Israel will be saved. You know, everyone who calls himself by the name of Israel is not of Israel. The, The Lord declared that. Any more than anyone who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. For example, we have a Christian president... Right? And apparently prayer is unconstitutional. Uh, Those two things don't go together. In my mind. But I digress. The point is all of Israel will be saved. How is the Lord going to establish who is of Israel? What does the word Israel mean? Governed by God. What does the word Jacob mean? Supplanter. Supplanter. Liar. Deceiver. The time of Jacob's trouble. When time of Jacob's trouble begins, he is a liar, supplanter, deceiver. When it's over, he is Israel, governed by God. And so that is what's going to be taking place during the tribulation period. The Lord turning the hearts of the nation of Israel back to him. How is he going to do it? Well, the Bible says there will be 144,000, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel that will be sent, sealed with the mark of God on their forehead, supernaturally preserved, beginning in Revelation chapter 7. By the time you get to Revelation chapter 19, how many are there? 144,000. They're still there. Every one of them. Not one will die the whole time. That cannot be said of the rest of the population of the earth. Before you get through chapter 6 of Revelation, which is the beginning of the tribulation period, a third of humanity has died. Well, let's put a number to that. Where are we at today? Six billion? Eight billion? I don't know. What's a third of eight billion? There's a lot of bodies. A third of six is two billion people. That's a lot of bodies, isn't it? But the 144,000 will not be touched, supernaturally sealed by the Holy Spirit to do the work that God has called them to do. 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes. By the way, that makes them Jewish. They're probably not knocking on your door and letting you know that they're part of the 144,000 unless they've already been sealed by God and are part of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, given for us in the book of Revelation. Again, laying that out. It really is in very plain English. It's hard to mess it up. And when we take a look at that, when we look at what's going on, we got 144,000 going out. we got angels released from heaven flying around the world and declaring what? The everlasting gospel. Why? So that man will be without excuse. 144,000 preaching, angels flying around the world. What's going to be accomplished during that time? Man is going to be judged. Every man who has decided that I do not want to mark my doorpost with the blood of the lamb or eat of his sacrifice. I will not have this man rule over me. Then rather than Christ bearing your judgment, you will bear that judgment yourself separation from god but the nation of israel is the focus of the tribulation period 
The nation of Israel having their eyes open and looking upon Him whom they had pierced and realizing they put their trust in the wrong Messiah. And they'll realize Jesus Christ is their Messiah. I, I still love this scripture in the book of Hosea. In the book of Hosea chapter 5, I think. Verse 15, the Lord says, I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he is torn, but he will heal. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. Looking future the return of the Lord, their Messiah, the one that was rejected. A third will survive the tribulation period and receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah, the Mashiach. They'll put their faith and trust in Him. So we have this time of affliction to look to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. That's what the nation of Israel is going to do. That's what Yom Kippur talks about and anticipates that event taking place in the 70th week of Daniel, also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. Picturing for us that event laid out for us at this feast day, the feast of Yom Kippur. Oh, there's one yet that we want to take a look at tonight. Fortunately, we still have time. Scripture goes on to tell us about that in Leviticus chapter 23. Verse 33, The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles, for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day there will be a holy convocation. You will do no work in it. So the first day is a Sabbath. For seven days you will offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day... You will have a holy convocation and you will make an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's a sacred assembly and you will do no customary work on it. Begins with rest, ends with rest. Sabbath at the beginning, Sabbath at the end. These are the feasts of the Lord which you will proclaim to be holy convocations. Again, what's convocation? Rehearsals, pictures, events that are going to illustrate for us things that are yet to come to offer an offering made by fire to the lord a burnt offering a grain offering a sacrifice and drink offerings everything given on its day besides the sabbath of the lord beside your gifts beside your vows beside all your free will offerings which you will give unto the lord also on the 15th day of the seventh month when you have gathered in the fruit of the land you will keep the feast of the lord for seven days On the first day there is a rest, and on the eighth day there is a rest. This is another harvest time. It is the harvest of the fruit. And we'll see that in the way that they celebrate it. During the harvest, bringing in the harvest of the fruit, the Lord would have the people go and move into booths. The, The feast of Sukkot, it means booth. It's a tent, a temporary dwelling place. What did it commemorate? It commemorated the traveling the children of Israel did from Egypt to the promised land. Remember, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They didn't have houses. What did they have? Booths. And these booths were to be 
built in a certain way so that the wind would blow through and the stars were evident at night. So they could lay down and look at the stars and the children would ask their fathers, why are we here? Why do we do this? And the father would begin to tell them the story of the Exodus, how the children of Israel were moved, how the Lord watched over them, how the Lord provided for them, how he gave them manna from heaven, how he gave them water out of the rock, how he made every provision that they would need. The feast of Yom Kippur is solemn, sad, and somber. The Feast of Sukkot is a giant family camp. Big party. Everybody hanging out together, living in these booths. Seven days. No work. Rest. Having neat times together with the family. Celebrating all that God is and has done for them. This is what's taking place at the Feast of Sukkot. The Feast of Tabernacles. And so they would gather together and celebrate this. They would, they would celebrate all that was going on. So we see what it commemorates. What did it anticipate? It anticipates the millennial reign of Christ. Two reasons. One, this feast is the only feast that will still be celebrated through the millennium. This feast... The Bible lays out for us in Zechariah chapter 14 that all the nations that are left will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles together in Jerusalem. They don't have to come. But if they don't come, the Lord says, it's not going to rain where they live. So they have a choice. They can still choose to come or not to come. To not come means you will be getting dry. To come means you'll receive living water. What is the rain from the heavens? It is called living water. You heard that phrase before? Running water in a brook. It is called living water. Why? It's water given by God. Water given by God. That reminds me of another guy, doesn't it? John chapter 7, John chapter 8. Jesus Christ declares... He is living water. He is water from heaven just as he was bread from heaven. He's that living water needed to satisfy. Well, it anticipates the millennial reign of Christ. Listen, it's so neat how it does this. In fact, why don't we take a look at John chapter 7 and we'll just take a look at the story and see what was taking place at that time. So hopefully you can see the picture begin to unfold. John chapter 7 just to get you caught up to what's going on, Jesus' brothers had just come to him, and they said, you know, we think you're crazy. We think you're crazy. Maybe we need to put you in an asylum somewhere. If you're really the Messiah, you need to reveal yourself. The feast is coming. Jesus said, you know, I'm not going to the feast. The Bible lays out for us that there are three feasts that every male Jew was required to go to. Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a seven-day feast, typically including Passover and the Feast of First Fruits. Then you have the, the, the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, uh, which is Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. If they were able, they were to be there. Well, Jesus does go to the feast. He goes toward the end, on the high day of the feast. 
And as he comes on that high day of the feast, here's what it says. Scripture lays out for us. We'll look at verse 32, chapter 7. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. And Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I will go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go? That we will not find him. Does he think to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing he said? You will seek me and not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And on the last day, the great day of the feast, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus is there, the Feast of Tabernacles. Every day at the Feast of Tabernacles, the priests would take these golden vessels from the temple. They would walk down to the Pool of Siloam. They would fill these golden vessels with water. They would come back up to the temple area. They would begin to sing Hallel Psalms. Hallel Psalms, Hallelujah Psalms, looking for the promise of Messiah. They would pour out that water and recite from Isaiah that when Messiah came, water would flow in the desert. And they'd pour the water out. Every day except the last day. The last day they would go down to the pool of Siloam They would dip these vessels in the water. They would bring it back to the temple. And when they were in the temple, as they were pouring out empty vessels without water in them, they would read Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44. The the people that were gathered around them would take this as an opportunity for prayer. Beginning at Isaiah 44, verse 3, they would read, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants, and my blessing on your offspring. And then they would pray, Lord, let the Messiah come. But in John chapter 7, it says, as that was accomplished, Jesus stood up and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. As the feast was accomplished, as they cry out for Messiah, Jesus would read the scripture. Answering the prayers of a people that were blind because of their disobedience to God's word in the first place. The Bible, Paul says, they couldn't see. Isaiah tells us the reason they couldn't see. They couldn't see because they rejected God's word. And God said, if you refuse my word, then I will leave you blind. And the scripture lays out for us in the book of Romans, how long are they blind? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. That means when the number of Gentiles is full, complete, 
their eyes will be open again. When is the number, the fullness of the Gentiles complete? Fullness of the Gentiles is complete. The Feast of Trumpets. The assembly is called together, gathered to the Lord, it is made full, and at the Day of Atonement, once again, the Lord's attention is turned toward His people to open their eyes that they will see Him as their Messiah, receive Him, be saved, and enter into the millennial reign of Christ. When we look at the seven feasts laid out in Leviticus 23, they tell the whole story of the 70 weeks of Daniel. They tell the whole history of the nation of Israel, that salvation would come, that the Lamb would die, that they would reject Him, but their door would be opened to Jew and Gentile alike. When the fullness of the Gentiles is come, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on people as He was in the Old Testament. Did, was the Holy Spirit upon every believer in the Old Testament? No, He wasn't. He was given when Christ ascended. And when the church is taken out of the way, He will resume work as He did in the Old Testament. He will be upon those whom He is upon. Empowering them for a season. The Holy Spirit was upon Saul. Did he stay with him? Nope. He was taken from him. Saul rejected the word of the Lord, became blind. David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, what did he say? Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Why did he say that? Because sometimes the Lord took the Holy Spirit away. The empowerment to, to do and be more than we are. That is all going to revert back to the way it was in the Old Testament throughout the period of the tribulation. The Holy Spirit is going to be sealing the 144,000. The Holy Spirit is going to be with the two witnesses that come and, and bear witness. By the way, where are those two witnesses focusing their attention? The Bible tells us where they're going to be. They're going to be in Jerusalem. Who are they witnessing to? nation of Israel, that they might open their eyes and they might see. So the scripture lays out for us, in those seven feasts, those events taking place. The Lord says, these are your rehearsals. These are the things that you're going to practice. An illustration that you're going to act out every single year. There are 70 of them. 52 Sabbaths, seven extra Sabbaths, and the seven feasts, two of those feasts being seven days. Seventy. Isn't it interesting? On the seventh month, the first day, they assembled the people together. What's ten the number of? Law, right? Ten is the number of law. On the tenth day of the seventh month, Yom Kippur. What is it that the law does? Shows us our guilt. What happens when we see our guilt? We call out on a Savior. What does the Bible say will happen? The nation of Israel will look on him whom they pierced. They will believe. They will call and God will answer. That's what the Bible says. Then the 15th, on the 15th of the seventh month, we enter into the millennial reign. The millennial reign pictured in the, the feast of Sukkot. 
Ten was the number of the law. What's five the number of grace? Enter into grace and all of Israel will be saved. Fulfillment of the history going through the feast days. Listen, the word declares to us, again, just as we close out tonight. He says in verse 40, And you will take for yourselves the first day of this feast, this final feast, the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, willows of the brook, and you will rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You will keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You will dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites will dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. For I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. What did the word feast mean? Their appointed times. Leviticus 23, 1500 years before Christ. He laid out the story in the appointed times and the rehearsals that they were to celebrate. So we got more to do. We got more coming in the upcoming chapters. I know it's a lot to to swallow and understand, but go ahead and pour over those scriptures and allow uh, the Spirit to guide you and direct you to see if these things are not so. Why don't we stand up and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time that we gather before you. We thank you for an opportunity to open your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that... uh, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Leviticus is the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I thank you, Lord, for the evidence. No question in the first four feasts as we take a look and see their fulfillment. And as we look ahead to the next, Lord God, we are constantly desiring, Lord Jesus, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That you would reveal your word to us, even as your word declares that you desire to reveal your will to those who ask, who want to know. Lord, we pray that you would continue to raise us up and guide us, that we would understand the events that are yet to come, that you would help us to see the truth of your word. And we, Lord, will give you all the praise and the glory for it as we look forward to the great things yet to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.